Steve, uh, I, I don't have a joke to start the show this week. I think we're all business this week, but it's it's for good reason. All right. You, okay. You excited? You excited? I'm excited. Okay. It's a wonderful. It's a it's a it's a podcast recording day. It's a wonderful there day. You go. There Apparently, you go. we're all down to business, though. It's a business. We're, day. We're you're focused on business. Uh, that is, I think, the, the 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 word of the day, and that that comes from uh, Pete Gonzalez, whose son is going to sign at Penn State to play football at Penn State. Pete also happens to be a former Pitt player and. Pittsburgh Steeler, and also spent some time in the CFL. Um, and we spent some time with him today um, and had a great interview. Um, but first, I need to give you the name of the podcast, which is Stuff Summer Says with Steve. With Steve. Um, so let you listen to that interview. We're also going to talk about uh, some, some Tom Allen stuff. And then we're also going to talk uh, the bowl game, because I, I think this will probably be the last time we talk before the bowl game, Steve. So, um Take a listen to our interview with Pete. It's great. A uh, lot of energy. Um, it's it's a really good behind-the-scenes interview. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about the way this one turned out. Steve, today we are joined, I think, one of our, our most exciting gets ever, but also one of our most interesting gets ever because he's not only a former Pitt quarterback, he also spent time with the Steelers and in the CFL, but that's not really why we're talking to him today at all. In fact, we were talking about his son, who is committed to Penn State and will sign his letter of intent on Wednesday this week. Uh, Pete Gonzalez joins us uh, to talk about his son and Peter, uh, who plays football as a wide receiver at uh, Pitt Central Catholic. Pete, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to chatting it up a little bit. Love to talk. Right. I love to talk. <laughs> all right. That's perfect. That's great. That's great. All right, so let's let's t address the elephant in the room. You are a Pitt grad. You're a former Pitt quarterback. What was it like the moment that your son came to you and said, "Dad, I think I want to go to Penn State." You know, it, 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 he didn't have to come to me. I kind of saw the process take its course, right? You know, you're, you know, one thing about our family is we're a business family, right? We're, you know, I own a you know a number of businesses, and I've I've taught my son from an early age how to think in a business sense and analyze things in a business sense and college football has become a business, right? You have to, you have to approach it as an entrepreneur now as an athlete. Right. So, um, you know, we started looking at the dynamics of recruiting. We saw the schools that were heavily recruiting Peter, the schools that really had their, their desire to communicate, their desire to, 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 to engage. And, um, you know, I did raise him to be a Panther. I did, you know, uh, guide him to many football games. I did, encourage him and, and prop him as much as I could, both myself and his mother. And his grandmother went to Pitt. His grandfather went to Pitt. Um, his aunt went to Pitt. Um, and there's about four or five other people that went to the University of Pittsburgh. So he had a lot of encouraging. But at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, the schools that really show an interest and have a desire to build that relationship with that young person. And, uh, you know, Miami did a great job. Virginia Tech did a real good job. Uh, Terry Smith, you know, outshined because he started really early. You know, Terry... Uh, Terry and I known each other for years through the coaching ranks. Um, obviously, I've always, always respected Terry and, and Harvey, his brother. Those guys were, you know, in the community have been, you know, role models to younger guys like myself. Um, so when he called on Peter, you know, ninth grade year to learn what he was doing, he was a basketball player, right? And he heard that Peter had some size, some skills. And, um, you know, he and I were talking as friends. And I say, hey, keep an eye on him. I don't know if he's going to play football, but if he does, he might have a chance. And so be it, Terry was engaged pretty early. But I do have to say, Pat Arduzzi was engaged at the age of six. So, you know, he had <laughs> well, at the age of nine because I was I was an honorary captain. and He was at the table with Peter. So he had a shot early as well. So um, 
it was a little bit disappointing, but you know, we're a business family. You know, Penn State put it in the time, Miami put it in the time, Virginia Tech put it in the time, and and uh, we made a decision, and Peter made a decision based on his future. You spoke about it there a little bit, but what was different about your recruitment and your son's recruitment, both, you know, in terms of the business aspect of college football it is now versus back then, but also from your perspective of being him and now being a dad? Yeah, I think, you know, my recruitment, um, you know, I was blind, right? You know, I was a first generation American. My father was a Cuban American that came to this country for an opportunity. My mother came from Honduras, you know, and, and told her mom, I'm going to America, left a note at, at, at her mom's, you know, doorstep and left and, and came to the United States. So my guidance that I had was really, my parents were just happy that I went to college, right? My parents were just happy that I was staying out of trouble, right? I was supposed to take over the family business. So I didn't have guidance in terms of, you know, how to prepare for college or, you know, or education wasn't on the forefront of our family. We were just, they were just preparing us to work, right? Because they, they worked and they provided, so they were preparing me to work, right? Um, so, you know, I was very blind going to school. I didn't know what I wanted. I mean, I was recruited by, you know, I was a pretty successful quarterback myself. I was recruited by Miami, Florida State, some of the top programs in the country, right? And um, I didn't know what I wanted out of an education. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a, a, a guide. I didn't have any of that. So by the grace of God, I ended up at the University of Pittsburgh, which was a great school, and, and things went well for me. With Peter, it's a whole different story. You know, with Peter, he had two college-educated parents. Both of us played college sports, right? Um, you know, he grew up in a household, uh, you know, that, that we value education. We value, you know, a, a, a career, right? And we also know that we have to use football to get ahead of life, right? We, we were looking at football as, let's use the game, let the game use you, right? When I was coming up, the game used us, right? We weren't focused on so much academics. You see what I'm saying? So um, for him, it was sort of different. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that, that you know, players coming out today are, need to understand, and, and one thing Peter understood at early ages, when you're going to colleges and you're engaging these coaches, you're always being evaluated. You know what I mean? So he knew that from the beginning. Like, since day one, I never let him – I let him understand it was a business, right? Listen, you're in, anytime you go to a camp, you're in, it's, it's an interview. It's a job interview. You see what I'm saying? Know how to look coaches in the eyes, shake their hands, you know, speak to them correctly. You know what I'm saying? Be respectful. You know, anybody that recruits you, it's a blessing. You, so for somebody to want you, I don't care what level it is or what school it is, it, it, it's an honor. There's only so many people that could do this. You see what I'm saying? There's only so many people that get picked to do this. So that's, I think, the biggest difference. He had some guidance between his mother and I. We've, we've gone through the process, right? And, um, and I would say that I was blinded and he had some direction. So, so you gave that direction, right? You're driving home. Everything's an interview. Everything's an opportunity. That's some of the stuff you did do. What did you, was there anything you bit your tongue on and, and let him figure out himself? Or like, what did you intentionally not do, if anything, during this process? Yeah, I didn't push him towards any program, right? I didn't, I didn't script anything he did. I let him be himself at all these visits, right? Um, and I've never been a person to be involved in, in his life where he has to do things a certain way. You see, it's, it's his journey, right? It's his book. He's writing the chapters. I'm just happy to be a part of it, right? So when I, when I look at Peter, it's like, you know, I did my thing, right? His mom did his thing, her thing, right? We wrote our books. I got my chapters. My name's in stone at Pitt, right? Now I'm a part of you. So my philosophy is I'm feeding my kids focus every time, right? What is your focus? Well, he has a desire to play at the next level. Well, we'll feed that focus. We'll take you to camps. We'll work out. We'll do that, right? So a lot of what he did in, in, in terms of, you know, the game itself was self-discovery, 
right? Because he had to learn on his own. But a lot of them on the visits, too, I just let him be himself. I said, just be yourself. You know they're looking at you. Be Peter Gonzalez, right? Let them understand who you are. So I was very limited in that process. I just let them understand the business side of the, of the game. You see what I'm saying? I'm hearing you, but I also know, I think I know, it's been 25 years. Mm -hmm. You're a pretty emotional, strong-willed dude. Yeah. How are, how are you as a parent? Like, how are you as parent fan? Like in in the stands, I'm listening. Forget the recruiting speaking. Let me take me to the to the stands at a football yeah. game. How are you there? I don't I don't sugarcoat it. I mean, I, honest to God, like I mean, in the stands, I think I'm like every other parent, right? I get excited for 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 a big play of any kid, right? I get excited when I see my kid do well. I get pissed when I see my kid do bad. I'm like, what the hell are you doing, bro? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm a fan to be honest with you. And and you know, so so that's that's the role that I play, and I'm, I'm kind of happy because I coached the last couple of years that I coached them, so. To be in the stands this year, I was really a fan. So it was a lot of fun, to be honest with you, because I get to talk crap on the coaches too, right? Because everybody in the damn stands talks shit on me when I was coaching. Now I get a chance to say, you know what, you sucker, <laughs> you sucked on that one, right? So, um, so from that perspective, but I am very, I'm honestly brutal with Peter. You know, um, when he doesn't do well, I let him know. I said, listen, brother, you got to go back to the drawing board. It wasn't good. You know what I mean? Um, when he does well, I speak to him about the good things he did well and how he can improve in some areas, right? So. Um, it's kind of like a fine balance, right? I'm like a, like a coach mentor type of deal. But I think as a parent, you never stop coaching your kids, right? You always keep at it. You know, it doesn't matter how old they get. You know what I mean? You just keep at it all the time. So I'm passionate as a parent. Um, I'm, I'm passionate for all the kids, to be honest with you. I, I enjoy watching all the kids go out there and play and give it the best. You know, in my household, you know, the one thing that 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 takes zero talent is is effort, right? And that's expected. If you ain't doing that, I'm not letting you step on the field. That's just the way it is around here. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so as long as you go out there and, and give it your best and, and go at it, man, we're good with that. Let the let the chips fall where they may at that point. Ooh. You you talked about relationships there at the beginning a little bit. Um, I, I want to ask you specifically, what is what? How do you develop relationships with the coaches, and how does that kind of gauge or, or a barometer for you on you know my son? I feel confident in the choice that my son's making. Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've been privy to know some of these guys, you know, some of their NFL history. I've been privy to know some of their their, their college history, right? Um, we've crossed paths in the past. You know, some of them are high school history, right? So I kind of know what type of coaches they are. But because I've been through the process and I've been on the good side of coaching, and I've been on the bad side of coaching. You know, I had an experience at Pitt that early on was terrible. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good environment. Later on, it became a very good environment for me as a player. And I saw things that were done through coaches and promises that were made in the recruiting process that were never delivered on, right? Um, so I've seen both sides. You know, I also know that when a coach says something, whether it's a deliverable or not, can he deliver or can he not deliver? Do you see what I'm saying? Um, so, you know, I listen a lot, right? In my world of business, you do a lot of listening, right? You try to you try to use people's words against them, you know, when, when, when you're negotiating at the table, right? <laughs> And um, I have to be honest with you, you know, one thing I noticed about the schools that were recruiting Peter, they were very genuine about delivering the message to him. Look, here's what we see in you. Here's what we like about you. Here are some of the concerns that we have. You know, they were very genuine in the whole process. I think all the programs are of high level, high integrity guys. You know, I think Mario Cristobal in Miami was a high level, high integrity guy. Um, you know, Coach Pry, Brett Pry down there at, at, a, at a Virginia Tech, that staff as well. You know, I think James, you know, is is a high integrity guy. I think his staff, you know, exude, exudes that. So, you know, I, I I vetted him accordingly as a parent. You know, I asked him some hard questions. Um, and, you know, I don't think we give our college coaches enough credit for what they do, to be honest with you. You know, these guys, when you look at the level that these guys are coaching 
And, and I think Franklin's the exception because it's such a we are world, right? We are is a freaking monster, man. It's a global brand. You see what I'm saying? You go to Virginia Tech, it's a good, it's a good brand. It's a it's a it's a popular brand. You go to Miami, it's a good brand. It had its day. But Penn State, man, that's a global brand. You guys, we're everywhere, right? Penn State's everywhere. Well, he's not only developing football players, he's raising young men, right? It's 80, 90, 100 young people. But not only the football players, what about the staff that comes with that, that he's also coaching, right, to become professionals? You see, not his coaching staff, the 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 the, the secondary staff that's helping with recruiting and the interns and all those people, right? So it, it's it's a hard job, man, to be a head coach in college football. You see what I'm saying? And it goes beyond just coaching the X's and O's. You're developing character in both men and women because your staffs are both. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, those guys have a tough job. So I vetted them as best I could as a parent and as a businessman, to be honest with you. I called shit on shit and I called truth on truth. You see what I'm saying? And at the end of the day, I thought all three programs were very good. And we settled on on, on State College uh, for all the right reasons. What was something in particular that James Franklin did that wowed you or impressed you the most as a parent? You know, I think, you know, as a, as a parent, I think the way he runs his operation and he knows everybody's name. Right. And he and he and, and he runs that program like a ship, man. It's on time. There's no it's organized. Like the minute we left on our recruiting visit, we had a, an itinerary. And everything happened as the itinerary said. There, was, there wasn't any waste of time or what do we do now? What's going on? And all the information flowed accordingly when it came down to you being on the visit, to academics, to NIL, to, you know, to everything, you know, to, to, to selecting your degree. I mean, everything that goes on with that program, we've been well informed. And not only him, but his staff relays that message. That's the hardest part is, is the staff relaying that message. So I've been very impressed with his ability to be organized, right? And then I'm also very impressed on how loyal players are towards him, right? Like you hear certain things, right? You know, you got people that love him. You got people that say, oh, he's never going to win the big one, you know? Or you got guys that say, if he can't beat Ohio State, I don't give a crap about him, right? But at, at the end of the day, man, like the guy runs a, a multi-billion dollar brand, right? And I'm very impressed with how he does it. And I'm very impressed how genuine he is with his players. Like, he actually loves his guys. Like, there's a genuineness there about his guys, right? And he's honest with them. He says, hey, man, you know, you're not a first-round pick. You shouldn't leave. And if you are a first-round pick, he says, man, go. Go make your money. He's honest, right? He knows that. And he's told guys to leave, and they stay. You see what I'm saying? So his whole staff is that way, which is pretty, pretty, pretty neat. So that's probably one of the most impressive things about him. I haven't, I have yet to see something that hasn't been accurate. Now, it is the recruiting process. And I know things, you know, Peter got to go in and earn it. There's a bunch of variables that still go into it. But I'm impressed by how he runs that operation. I really am. It you feels like. Every... Go ahead, Darren. Go ahead. I just said, I was going to say, you, you mentioned everybody's three letter uh, favorite, three letter acronym, you know, NIL there. How, yeah. how did that come up in the conversation? Not even just at Penn State, but really amongst the three schools that, that Peter was involved with. So we did not talk about NIL with Peter um, until probably we had it down to the last three. Okay. That was not in our equation. You see what I'm saying? I feel right now the NIL is 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 great for the players, and I think it's a great opportunity for 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 the game of football at the college level. It's a little bit renegade right now. It's scary because there's no real infrastructure, no structure to it. Um, there are no there's no sidelines, there's no boundaries, right? Guys are just kind of doing some things right now. So I think short term is going to hurt the game a little bit, um, but. We were highly focused on what school was going to deliver 
and feed Peter's focus to become a professional in life. Okay. And everything revolved around that, right? Everything revolved around us going to a school that had a, that had a great, you know, great academic base, right? Had his, his, his business degree. He wants to study business and be in finance and go into investment banking, right? Um, you know, Penn State has a great business program. Miami had a great business program. You know, uh, Virginia Tech had a great business program, right? Um, you know, it checked all those academic boxes. You know, was it a safe campus, right? You know, check those boxes, right? How was the alumni base? Man, all three had great alumni bases, right? You know, so, so it just had to start checking boxes. And then at the end, the last box that was left was the NIL, to be honest with you. And, uh, and then we had all three schools just explain to us how they handled NIL, right? And, um, and that's how we came about. We came about. It wasn't like there was a, an extort, a, a big number thrown at us or somebody threw a check at us, nothing to do with it. I didn't give a crap about that, to be honest with you. And I wasn't letting Peter focus on that because that's short-term, man. That's short-term gains because they could pull that crap. At the end of the year, they could pull it and you're stuck looking. You see what I'm saying? So, so the focus has to be you've got to be somewhere, A, they want you, and B, that you can see yourself being at if football doesn't work out. You see what I'm saying? So that was kind of the focus. That focus sounds old school in NIL world, right? Like, cause now guys are moving and my year doesn't go the way I want it to go. And I have the flexibility. What does, from a parent's perspective, what does commitment look like to you? Like if Peter says the first year, Hey dad, I don't know. Like I did, wasn't exactly what I thought. Like, or even as you watch it, yeah. what, what does commitment look like in your world? I think commitment is something you assess, right? I mean, you have to assess, you know, where is he at in that program? Where is he at in his, in his school as well? Right. You know, I could tell you pretty quickly if Peter goes to state college and, you know, I'm going to watch some practices. I could tell you pretty fast if he's going to be a guy that's going to compete for a position. OK. And I could tell you pretty quick if he's going to be a backup guy. I mean, it, it, I mean, I'm, I assess it. Right. I can see it. Right. I'm not a parent that's going to sit there. My, my kid's a first round draft choice. No, I mean, there's there's a process that goes into this development that he has to hit certain targets along the way. Right. Now, am I going to am I going to. Let Peter say, hey, I'm not playing my first year. I'm out of here. It's like, oh, 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 hit the brakes, young, young guy. You know, there's a process to success. And it doesn't happen just because you showed up on campus. You see what I'm saying? There, there, you ha there's certain steps. you got to earn certain things along the way. And that's, I think, the problem we have in today's society is these young people go to these programs and they give them this money and they make them these promises. And now suddenly they're, they have to battle for positions, right? And honestly, I think they get scared of the battle, right? They they they. they fear the loss of the battle. And you know, if you lose, there's there's lessons in the loss, right? So learn from that shit, man up and and, and go to the, you know, go to spring or wait for your opportunity to get on the field and show the coaches, right? Um, you know, th there's something funny about about sports, man, that that has always on the coach's side drives me crazy is when parents come to me and say, "Why isn't my kid playing?" right? And they ask me this question, but they don't want the answer. They don't want to hear the answer, right? So as a coach, you really you have to be very careful how you tell parents that because you really like the kid, right? You really want the kid to do well. You really want to develop this athlete, right? And you see potential. So I've always told parents, don't ask me why he's not playing. Why don't you ask me what he needs to do to be playing, right? Tell me, hey, coach, what does, you know, John or Bill or, or Sharon, what, do he, what does he have to do, coach, to get some extra reps in a game or extra reps in practice? Is, he, is there something he's not doing? You know what? I bet you I could chart a list of stuff that he can do that'll give him a better opportunity to get on the field, right? And that's how you compete. So that would probably be the thing that I would do. Is Peter not on the field? I would probably talk to the coaches and say, "Hey, Peter, you got to be your own advocate, bro. Daddy ain't going into the top of you. Ask them what you got to do to get your ass on the field, right? And what you can do better to get on the field, and where your deficiencies are at, and why they're not confident to put you on the field, 
That way you can work on it, but they can have confidence to put you on the field. You mentioned parents there and what they, in that, in that question, you've seen this from enough sides. I'm curious what the fans, people who don't have a dog in the fight, mm-hmm. not know about recruiting or see or seem to generalize about recruiting and recruits. I mean, you see people talking and hear like, what do people just not know about this or just spouting off just because they, and, and they're bitching about because they don't know? Like, what do people not have a sense about in this process? I think where people lose lose sight of the process, it's, it's still young people, right? These are not grownups coming to play ball, right? They're kids, man. Some of these kids don't even know how to do the laundry, man. And, and they're being thrusted into having money. They're being thrusted into the limelight, right? There's a lot of, I think, stress on, on, on kids today going to play college football, a lot of stress. Heck, there's kids that their families rely on them to play football. Like, this is crazy. Like, like, honest to God, like, we were on some recruiting visits. Some young people, like, their families are relying on getting NIL money. Like, I'm like, wow. Imagine being, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old, and you're, you have to send money home because your brothers and sisters got to eat. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like so, so I think that's the reality of this process, right? And coaches got to maneuver through that. You see what I'm saying? They got to be able to, to, to navigate that, that recruiting, that, that part of the recruiting process. But... You know, I think I think they just got to understand it's still amateur sports, man. It's still kids, right? That are that are trying to, you know, make away from themselves. So, you know, from the fans' perspective, I would say that that's probably the one area that I see that they say things about players like they're adults via social media, and, and that and that kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. You know, they'll say, "Oh man, that guy just flat out sucks." You know, like, "Come on, man, don't say that." You know, you know what I mean? Like they're harsh in their ways, and and and, and so that bothers me a little bit because. It's just not a good way to approach a young person trying to develop and get ahead in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the ink isn't dry on the the NIL form yet, but throughout this process, for you as a dad, what was what's the one moment that's made you the most proud? Yeah. You know, honestly, I think I'm I'm very proud of how Peter has handled the entire process. You know, he's he's been very focused. Um He's shown some pretty good business skills at a young age, right? He's very analytical. He's asked some very good questions, you know? He's been able to see, you know, he's been able to see the Ouija board, you know, even with Penn State, right? Like the the he heard media, the media talk about the receivers and then, you know, the coaches get on there and talk about the receivers and they talk about the receiver room and, and they, you know, he asked some pretty tough questions. He's like, he's like, why are we putting the receivers out there like that? Why aren't we trying to protect them and, 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 and keep that in house? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so he's thinking like a business person, right? Like there's nothing positive about being negative about the receivers. Those guys got to go back into the receiver room and figure out how to be better. Right. Well, when you start being negative, some of those guys shut down, you know what I'm saying? So, so um, he's really thought about the process and, he really knew that he needed to feel like he was going home somewhere and Penn state felt that way. He felt it when, when coach Hagen came in um, as full disclosure, we weren't even considering Penn state when the other uh, uh, receiver coach was there. It wasn't even in the cards. It just, there just wasn't a connection. There wasn't anything there for Peter. When coach Hagen's came in, um, it changed. You know, Marcus Hagan, he was he was very transparent with Peter. He talked to him. He built a relationship with him because that's the guy he's going to spend time with. You know what I mean? Um, that changed. And he made he gave Peter the, 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 the comfort 
to say, man, this guy's really going to help me develop and he's really going to care about what my next steps are in life, right? So I'm very impressed that he was able to look through the bullshit, right, and the crap and and, and, and narrow that thing down. And, and he was the one that came to us and said, I think this is it. And he gave us the reasons why, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, all right. I want to leave you with this. Are you are you ready to wear blue and white on Saturdays? Are you good with that? Okay. Yeah, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, the minute – the minute we committed, I went and bought everything blue and white because they were willing to flip the bill. When you're really, hey, listen, when you're gonna pay, when you're gonna, when you're gonna pay fifty grand a year in tuition, and you're gonna take that off my back, I am happy as hell to wear an S on my chest, an S on my hat, whatever you want, I'll rock it. So, so um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I just think you know, I'm amazed. I've I've been blessed to play there, and um, I got to tell you, when you're on the field, it's an amazing feeling to play there because the crowd is powerful, the environment is powerful. Um, but to go there now and be on the sideline, you know, and be on the home side with you, with, with, with Penn State, and to know that my son gets to experience that from this side, it's, uh, it's, it's very exciting that, that, we'll, that we get to be a part of this journey. And I know that's one thing that Peter, that Peter always wanted. He said, I wanted to play in front of a big crowd. And Penn State, you know, is that. And the fan base is phenomenal. I mean, what a great base to be a part of. Every time you go, the people are very polite. You know what I mean? They're great. Um, and 110,000 folks, man, that's a lot of people cheering, man. That's awesome, you know? It's awesome. All right, cool. Pete. Well, thank you for your time. This was an awesome interview. A lot of fun, a yeah. lot of energy. Um, best of luck to you, but best of luck to your son as well. Yeah, man. Thank you guys for having me, and I look forward to seeing you guys up there. And, you know, we'll see what the future holds. I'm hoping he can go up there and compete and earn, earn a – earn a spot on that roster and earn some playing time, man. You got to get down and dirty. You got to get on special teams first. You know, got to carry the water bottle and earn your way. You know, got to earn your way. <laughs> Thank you. Steve, I, I think it's funny. You could, you could tell he was, you could tell he was getting ready for the idea of, of wearing blue and white and trading in that blue and gold. And I think he was, he, he seems genuinely excited about it. And I think that's, that's a good dad right there. I think would be my, yeah, my takeaway. I don't think he does anything half, right? Like so that that that's great. All in and and what a practical parents thing. Oh, you're gonna pay the tuition? Yeah, I'm gonna buy some clothes. Thank you very that's, much. Yeah, that's a you know? yeah, that's easy. That's an easy no-brainer decision. Right. Um, I mean, and he's I, you know, when he played at Pitt, you know, they struggled, but he he fought his rear end off and then he was at the Steelers for two years. I'm pretty sure he completed one pass in his career, and it was to Heinz Ward in mop-up times. So he's like one for one with a pass completion to Heinz Ward. And I think the other Steelers trivia with him is I think he's the last person to wear number seven before Ben Roethlisberger. So, and he made his home in Pittsburgh and and three kids and his good head on his shoulder. So I'm glad, glad to have him as part of the Penn state family. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most interesting thing um, was the NIL discussion there um, because I think that's on everybody's brain right now. Um, that was interesting to me just because it is. I think some of that is also probably the lens that you look at life through, or, or you know, your your lens of what your life situation is, and I think that comes into play um, there. I think the other thing that was really important to hear about was the relationship process, and and I feel like we hear that word a lot with recruiting, and it almost feels um, you just kind of hear it ad nauseum that to the point where you don't it doesn't have a mean a point, but you can actually hear and see in that that interview the impact that those relationships can have. And that's really what this boils down to. It doesn't necessarily boil down to the fact, oh, I'm gonna go here and get all this NIL money. It's who am I spending this time with and how am I going to maximize that that time together? Yeah, I thought that was, I mean, 
Pete's never BS me of anything that I know of. Right. And it seemed honest there about that. And I thought what drove home the NIL and relationship piece being sincere was his kind of not calling out, but saying, Hey, the situation that some other people are in where they're expecting the NIL money and they need it to do, to do things right. Or they want it to do like the kids were on the hook to raise money for the family. That's a pretty honest assessment from one parent looking at other families that are in, in the, in the process, right. Not judgy. That's just their situation. So I, it was good to hear. It was neat to hear something from the parents' perspective about it, even a little bit about what recruiting looks like. Yeah, I think I think that was great. So thanks to Pete for joining us. Um, that was a really fun interview we had there. All right, let's move on. Uh, the big news of the weekend. Penn State has allegedly maybe sort of hired a defensive coordinator. The uh, Board of Trustees hasn't met to whatever those meetings are called that they have to have to sign the contract or whatever. But it sounds like former Indiana coach Tom Allen is going to be coming to state college to be defensive coordinator. It's kind of funny because I think collectively a lot of people thought the second that Tom Allen was fired and everybody kind of knew what was going to happen with Manny Diaz is, Hmm, what about, what about Tom Allen as, as defensive coordinator? I, I don't know. I think I like it. I think I like it. And I think that's about where I'm at with it. I think I like it. Um, Why the hesitation? Here's why the hesitation. It's just because of his energy. It's it's very strong. It's very strong. And I think that's the main thing that, that I've always kind of thought. Tom Allen seems like a, like a certified weirdo. And that's coming from somebody that considers himself a weirdo. Um, and he just, he seems like he has his heart in the, uh, the right place. Um it's just he's, he comes off of a lot, and that was surprising to me, I guess, that James Franklin wants that on his staff. But then when you kind of look at it from the practical standpoint, let's look at, like, previous defensive coordinators, right? Bob Shoup, Brent Pry, Manny Diaz, and now Tom Allen. Kind of all sort of Franklin's right-hand man or kind of sort of somebody that he seemed like James Franklin can trust, and I think that's why practically this hire was made, and I think that's why he went after a former head coach once again in this whole decision-making process. I am excited to see what Tom Allen also can do with the defense or with the, with the talent that he couldn't probably get at in Indiana, because I think that's going to be the biggest game changer for him is, you know, he had a lot of interesting and good schemes. Look at how tough they played Penn state or even Ohio state over the years, you know, and, and when you put that together, some of those deficiencies, I guess, result in talent on the field that Penn state has like a lot of Indiana kids are two and three stars versus three, four, five stars that you get at, at Penn state. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've noticed. It seems like a lot of players like them. So that's why I say, I think I like it. Steve, how do you feel about it? I think almost the same. And I could, I couldn't verbalize it that way. When I first saw it, it was just like, eh, I don't know about this seems kind of quirky, but the more I thought about it, Head coach, right, in a place a head coach knows not to undermine the existing head coach. So that's great. Like he's going to come in, focus on his defense, do what he's supposed to do. Quirky as a coordinator is much better than quirky as a coach. And it's it's easier to be it's easier to be quirky or hide that a little bit as part of a program where you're where where the it's just easier to win. I mean, Indiana is just a, it, it might be one of the toughest jobs in the country for all the reasons. Everybody knows, right? The teams you're playing, the, the talent you can get and all that. So, yeah, I think it frees him up, frees Allen up to have better talent. You know, coach up his X's and O's, bring the energy and the loyalty from the players that apparently he does from his players and, and will, will gain from the Penn State players probably. 
and be in a position to succeed. So I think at first I was probably not, and I'm not impressed. I was like, oh, okay, that, that should be okay. But I may be a stronger okay now after a couple of days of thinking about it. Um, and he's not a, he's not, it doesn't seem like he's going to be, and I don't know that Manny Diaz, Diaz was, but he's not going to be a personality threat to James Franklin, right? He's not going to be like the <clears> defensive <throat> coordinator that's more popular. He's just going to be that guy who knows what he's doing, talks to the media twice a year, and the people are like, okay, that's kind of cool. Um, as opposed to clearly going to get another job somewhere. Like, I think he could be here for a little longer than Manny Diaz Diaz was, right? Like, I think this feels more like get comfortable, get here, and it's four years or so at least, unless something, unless something's really crazy because, I don't know, like, because he, he, he hasn't won as a head coach. Diaz kind of got forced out, felt like it was a raw deal at Miami. Things might have been coming along. And and Allen may be better than Indiana because the Indiana job's so tough, but – um, I think it's a. I think I'm leaning toward more, more toward good than just okay. After thinking about it a couple of days, I certainly have more opinions or more feelings on this hiring than the Andy Kotelnicki hire. And and take that what you will. I guess, uh, like, I at least once I once you get past Tom Allen, the personality, you can you can see the track record here. It, it is a proven hire to a degree, even if, I mean, he had to be a good defensive coordinator somewhere to get that job at Indiana. Like you don't just get, get handed a, a head coaching job somewhere. And it is for as much as it is Indiana, it still is a big 10 job. Like they're, they're still going to make the hire because they think he can do something with it. And he at least made Indiana fun for a couple seasons there. At least kept them relevant and interesting. I haven't, I have what I haven't done is is really sat down, and and we're gonna do it I think right now and, and sat down and thought through the optics I guess would be the best way to say it of the fact that James Franklin hired the guy that was the coach of the team that derailed the 2020 season, and then basically set the program back for a year, and that hire probably has to work out in the way of at minimum at least the second round trip to the the college football playoff maybe maybe just a trip to the college football playoff in the, the 12 teams era every year every other year at minimum type thing all on the back of the the fact that his defense is going to rest with this guy that set his program back and i think that's that was also maybe some of the head scratching processing that i went through this weekend with, with the hire I think that's a fair roundabout assessment of the logic of it. Or I think it's not his fault that the program got set back. Like his no, his signature win, no. his signature win just happened to come against Penn State. Yeah, right. And Penn State <laughs> didn't deal with it very well. So, yeah, but I think that's a good assessment, right? Like, I mean, he, they've got to, and it, but it's every hire. It, it's offensive coordinator, to everything else. Now, next season, as we talked about before, is the season where Penn State probably needs to be one of twelve. I mean, I get. The expectations are they will be one of twelve. Again, I don't think there's any pressure on the coach next year if they're not in the top twelve. I just don't. I don't think it'll change next year yet because the buyout numbers too big and people aren't still too big and they aren't talking about that. But I think people's expectations are next year. Yeah, look well, at us. We were, we were tenth this year. Good, good lord, why won't we be in the top twelve next year? Forget what the schedule looks like from afar, whatever, and that, that the five game run that looks kind of tough now. Um, Penn State should be there. I think is what fans feel. Some fans feel. Maybe more, most fans feel. Well, and the the body isn't even cold on the 2023 season, but I think that's a fair way to look at it. I think sure. I've said that they need to make the playoff next year. Like, there's no excuse. 
Penn State is not a top four team in the country. Like, it, or sorry, Penn State is not not a top four program in the country right now. I, I, I the numbers would suggest that the wins, but they certainly have a. What's the stat that keeps going around about how they're going to be the first if they win the Peach Bowl, the first school to win yep. all of the New Year's Six, and they've done three of those in however many years now. Um, so yes, to me, they are a top ten to fifteen program. So can you be in that top twelve? And I, I think that's why with this hire it is is why I think he went with somebody proven and and didn't maybe go out on the limb as much. Um, because I think like the Mike Yursich hire and you're kind of almost apples to oranges, right? Like the, the Mike Yursich hire was kind of out of nowhere just because it was not just the, the hiring of him, but the firing of Kirk Chiraca after the COVID season, which kind of sort of didn't count type thing. And then it didn't really work out. And it seemed like it was more of a, it's, it still seems like it was more of a, workplace issue in terms of we didn't get work to go work together well i mean they still were putting up a lot of points they just in the games that mattered it also the coaching wasn't there and some of that is on the head coach more so but james franklin isn't a defensive coach so i think that's why the manny diaz hire was such a surprise but was a great hire and i think that's why I'm not going to go out and say it's a great hire because I, I think the I, I don't like saying that because I think the records have to kind of or the, the games have to play where that's really decided. But I think that's why it is it's the hire that made a lot of sense. It is an aggressive one and it's well, I'm going to say it. it. It feels like a good it feels like a safe hire that you're not screwing up the momentum that you built with the defense this season in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. And let me, let me go stand up comedy. It's safe and right. Like safe would have been in some ways internal, you know, Poindexter or somebody else that people wanted. I think what you get from going outside the program, you get the head coach, but you get the outside the program perspective, right? Tom Allen's going to know, Hey, what did we, you know, what did you guys do for Ohio state? What did you guys do for Michigan? Like talk me through some of your, your schemes and processes and why you did this and that, that you just don't have. If you promote from within, you you're just bringing folks whose whose ideas you know, who've had their voice around the table before. Someone from the outside who's capable of doing the job and, and certainly qualified to do the job also brings some different ideas to put around that table to discuss, to debate, to self scout, and I, and I think that's that's valuable. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. It's it's a yeah because it's a it, it gets you out of the group think. I guess mentality and gets you somebody in the room that can at least question it. And a lot of the times there's good results based off of questioning something of why are you doing it this way, regardless of it's football or work or whatever. Um, so he's got the leeway to at least play dumb for the first year. I mean, not dumb, yeah. but to at least to, to ask why this and why that about processes while somebody from, from within would say, okay, we've done this before. Here we go. Even if they're going to add their own spin on it. Somebody right. from the outside gets to say why this, and he has the credibility as a head coach of, of saying, "Okay, let's listen to what he's got to say." Yeah, no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the other thing that that we kind of want to at least allude to the fact here is, and, and and some of it's more so the absence or the, the departure of Manny Diaz is the James Franklin coaching tree is. It's it's a nice little it's not a, a sapling anymore I guess would be the 
the best way to say it. I know that Manny Diaz was him leaving was probably a foregone conclusion from the second he signed at Penn State. But how I many years James does Craig, he need to work with you to get to be in your tree? I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not discounting well, it. I'm just, just two well, years. But about. I think yes, I, it is okay. because James because really. That's only one class that Manny Diaz recruited. So you have to execute, I think, and complete that execution on the field. And that some of that goes back to the fact that you need to be hired for that position. And I, so I think, yes, I, I think that's, and I think that's interesting. And I think, you know, I don't think, I just, I think James Franklin, for as much crap as he takes, probably deserves a little bit of credit for that. It might not be, it might not sell tickets. It might not, it might be a, a, another social media graphic type victory. I'll, I'll but make it's it bigger at least than that. something. No, I'll make it bigger than social media. I think it goes to, I think his coaching tree, no matter how long they've been there, Gerard, Gerard Parker, who's now at Troy, as it, that came up today, went from mm -hmm. Notre Dame to Troy. Um, the guy at Marshall. Um, just, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just, I think it goes to, credibility as a football coach, which Franklin, everybody says he's the CEO coach, right? And, and the knock had been through the years, all X's and O's, game day, right? I think the more people you have out there that you've rubbed elbows with, that have coached with you, that you've been their boss, I think that brings some credibility when they've still got jobs that were promotions from the job they had with you. And, and I think that speaks to the football knowledge for him, which what, maybe twice in his 10 years, he's really gotten fired up about at news conferences and, and defended himself and his record. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is it is kind of big that the tree's growing that way. Yeah, I, I think that's... I also think, like, going back to the, the, the top 10 program, top 15 program idea, like, you have to perform to get hired, like, to, to for all of these other coaches to get hired out. And... For the most part, most of them have. I think Ricky Ronnie would be the one that like people kind of debate was was he leaving, was he going type thing. Um, but for the most part, you look at every person that has been elevated to a higher level position, whether it's internally or externally, it's because of the results that they've had. Dion Barnes is a great example of that. Brent Pry the is is the poster child for that. And I think I really think Virginia Tech's going to become a bigger problem. Um, in, in at least in the ACC, it's it just takes time for a lot of these coaches, and I think that's the the issue with college football right now is we don't we collectively don't have a lot of patience. So I don't know. I think that was just something I wanted to bring up on the podcast and chat through. All right. Anything else on Tom Allen? Nope. Looking forward to see what he does. Okay. Cool. Um, I am looking forward to heading to the Peach Bowl, Steve. Um, so we're going to talk about the Peach Bowl now. Um, is if Penn State wins this game, is this Penn State's best win of the season? Yes, right, right, because it lasts the longest, right? Too, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. there you go. I mean, they're going to they're going to beat an SEC team that's a top ten ish team, and they get to talk about it for the next six months, eight months, whatever it is. Um, so yes. I, I think that's, I think that's about how I feel about it. And I don't know. I, I kind of keep getting, I keep getting similar feelings to how I felt last year. And I, I want to see how I feel after the bowl game. And I think this is why I, I haven't kind of like written a season recap post yet. 
on the blog is I want to see how I feel after the bowl game in the sense that if they win this game, do I feel better about this season? And I think I will um, just because of what you laid out, the fact that they went and beat an SEC team, this team doesn't seem like, like Ole Miss doesn't seem like they're going to have a lot of opt-outs, if any. Um, they're still like a relatively younger team. I think, again, it's it's now James Franklin's going up against a very good offensive mastermind, so to speak, in, in Lane Kiffin. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think this is the best win. I, I think the Iowa win forever will be the most impressive win in the season unless they do mm -hmm. something that really blows me away. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think that's, I think there's a lot riding on this game in the similar fashion to the way the Rose Bowl, Bowl felt last year of, hmm, like once, once the death settle, dust settles, you're going to go, hmm, this is, things are better here than, than we, we expect or we, we anticipated them to be, I guess. Would be yeah, this, this. This gets to soothe the wounds if they win over Michigan and Ohio State, right? Then being the third best team in the Big Ten doesn't feel so bad when one of them is is playing in, in the in the playoff and the other one, you know, it beats you head to head, you know, and people assume that they're better than you. So I mean, yes, it did just it makes it better. Doesn't make it great, but it makes it better. No, I think that's fair. Well, the other thing is the other one beat you head to head sure but also had a Heisman finalist and now their starting quarterback no longer plays at said school exactly. um right. so you know i think that's interesting um thing i'm most excited about for the bowl game is the stadium i'm very excited to see this stadium everybody tells me that the stadium is incredible amazing um so i'm excited about that um apparently there's not a bad sight line i've been told um I'm also excited to to get some Chick-fil-A because I'm I'm sure there'll be some form of free Chick-fil-A that will be handed out or something. And you're doing the aquarium thing or not? Uh we are I don't think we're doing the aquarium. We are okay. gonna do it sounds like we're gonna do the college football hall of fame. Okay. okay. Which I'm uh as a, as a history buff, I am excited about. Um we did the aquarium when we went right. to the Auburn game. So yeah. um and we did World of Coke. Um, even though I have my Coca-Cola here, um, it was not a great, it was fine. It was, it would be a great field trip, I think would be the best way to <laughs> explain that experience. So if you're listening, I would skip that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I, I'm excited. I'm interested to see how many Penn State people are there as well. Cause it, it feels like there's going to be a bigger contingent than, than normal. Well, it's an easy trip, right? I mean, Atlanta's an easy trip. It's 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 one flight from Pittsburgh and Philly and DC and Jersey airports. It's a it's a reasonable drive, you know. It's not driving all the way to to, to Florida, so yeah, I guess I would be surprised if there weren't a sizable contingent. And I think that's an indicator of, you know, what does it mean, you know? And are we over the two losses? And are are we better than okay? We're okay being better than everybody but them. And the quarterback's going from Ohio State, and there's next year. You know, yeah, I just. I guess I'd be shocked if there wasn't a good Penn State turnout. What are you most excited about, Steve? I'm excited to watch it on TV and not have to deal with traffic and tickets and BS and whatever else. Um, I'm interested. I think so far, and I haven't dug into it, you know, as in terms of all the weeds of coverage, but there hasn't been much Lane Kiffin 
stuff yet. There's been a couple little social media things that were kind of fun, like whether he was intended or not. Like, I'm like, okay, this it'd be cool if that guy was in your conference and you had to play him once a year, right? Like, there's a lot of there's a little bit of he doesn't care. It does it doesn't feel as scripted as buttoned down as whatever. I think it's I, I think it's the button down is correct. I think it's almost he gets that college football is weird and he accepts that. And I think you compare that with other head coaches out there that like, like Harbaugh comes to mind of like, it feels life and death to Harbaugh. College football feels life and death mm -hmm. to Lane Kiffin. It, it feels like, like it's like playing a video game or something that he just feels very relaxed with it. So I am that, that I think that's a, exciting yeah i mean his journey has just been so crazy as a coach right like life and death isn't exactly a thing in his world right you've been right fired on the tarmac in, in la you've been at like it's just you've been all over the country already and you're just having a good time and, and i think that's true I, I would love to get a little taste of that in the next week or so as they do some news conferences and things just to see just to have a little bit of fun because these games have to be fun because they don't they mean something if you win that you'd say they don't mean anything if you lose right like that's how you spin it but they are just about an experience and an event. So make it enjoyable and, and get the most out of it that way. I, I want to pick your brain because I don't think we, I think we've maybe had this discussion before at this time of year, but I, I was watching the, I was watching the famous toastery bowl today. Uh, Western Kentucky came back to beat old dominion. Speaking of other, well, we already talked about Ricky Ronnie. Um, but the, their quarterback, they showed him, they went in overtime, and he is crying. And I think all of these people, like, I think that, like, those moments should be plastered or tattooed or thrown at all the people. Oh, there's too many bulls. Oh, bull season doesn't matter. These are still college football games. These kids are still going out there putting a lot of emotion, energy, whatever it may be, into these games. And I think, for me, I think that's... I think that's why I am. I love bowl season. I also think for me, I'm a little bit anxious about the that going forward as we expand to 12 teams because we're going to lose a, a, maybe a little bit of that. Um, or, But we're also going to get at the opposite end of the spectrum, a more intense, heightened um, pull of that. So um, I don't know. That's my gripe towards all these people that say, Oh, the famous toastery bull doesn't matter. Show that, show that uh, kid crying at the, at the end of the game. Oh yeah, I, I think it matters to. The, I think all of them matter to those people that are involved. And I think if a kid opt out, opts out, it matters to the kid who's taken his place. So I, I think, I think that's okay. And I, and I, next interesting next season will be interesting to see what happens with losing four teams worth of games, four teams worth of four games worth of teams, right? Because it's going to expand by eight teams. That's four bowl games of quality teams that are off, off the list of going to a bowl game. Right. And they were struggling to get enough. They didn't have enough winning records of teams this year to make it work. So I think feels like there's going to be some attrition there somewhere, but it's not going to make sense for somebody, but the ones that not that many though, ESPN props up most of them, a bunch of the early ones, right. Or TV programming for mm -hmm. ESPN that they're run by ESPN events. Um, but yeah, I think they matter. I, they certainly matter to the people who are involved. I think it's often a junket for administrators and whatever else and certain people on athletics departments and whatever else. But um, like the Peach Bowl, like I think those kind of places that know how to make their bowl a charitable endeavor for their community, I have a lot more 
bandwidth to appreciate them than I do the other ones that are just a TV show. Right. No, that makes, I, I, I get where you're getting at there. All right. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to discuss about bowls? Let's say it's pool. No, looking forward to Penn State's bowl. Looking forward to watching the other ones. Um, some of the other ones. I know I watch West Virginia and North Carolina, I think, play. and Yeah, that'll playoff be a good game. Like, there's a couple that I looked at. I, I watched Notre Dame and Oregon State, I think, just to see what Oregon State has left with their coach gone. Um, I'm not watching every one of them, but there's probably a half dozen or so that I'll watch in Penn State's. That's what we're doing on the 30th, so looking forward to it. I also think it's – it's when we talked about this when the bowl games were announced. Penn State got lucky in terms of the fact that they're playing Ole Miss. Like, it, this game – this is going to be, I think, a very interesting. A lot of people are going to pay attention to this game in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that's exciting. All right. Um, this week's old guy, young guy, brought to you by Steve. What do you got, Steve? Oh, did I have to pick from that list? I gave you options. Yeah, I thought. Oh, 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 oh! I, I thought we were doing them all. Let's just do them all. Let's, Let's do, do them all. all. Okay. Oh, okay. Let me find what I sent you. Okay. So my question, first one was: It's the holiday season. What do you consider a quote old guy beverage? I don't know. I mean, okay. I just figured. I feel like, I feel like any anything that is a mixed drink with any form of alcohol that is not like a called a painkiller or like sex <laughs> on the beach, like like any non tropical. So a Manhattan or something. Like yeah, that. Manhattan or like a even a martini, like any of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When was the last time you had one of those things? Uh. I, I've never had a sex on the beach. I've never had a martini. I think I've had a Manhattan. I don't know. I don't, I, just, I pretty much just like, I, I have, we have bourbon downstairs, but no. Yeah. No, like that, that's, I just, the people that tell me they can taste the flavors of the bourbon. I'm just like, I taste one flavor and that is hot and burning. Oh, so. I think, I, I think that there are tastes. I think they all taste relatively the same, but I think there are different tasting ones. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I'm just not that my palate isn't whatever. Um, have you ever been caroling? That was one of the other old guy, young guy questions. Not in a uh, like neighborhood capacity. Uh, I feel like only just like in school productions. What are you? Is that? I think that's probably about the same. Like, I don't think we've gone door to door, ironically enough, with any of like the groups you've ever been or whatever else. So, no. Plus, I don't sing. So, that's yeah. I will say, I will say there is a caveat to that. My my dad and his friends for, and I think this is going to be their 40th year, they every year load up in the back of a pickup truck and play Christmas songs, drive around town and play Christmas songs at people's houses. So I, we'll call That's that like semi, yeah, yeah, semi-caroling. Yeah. We had Santa Claus in the, in the in the fire trucks come through the neighborhood on Saturday. Mm. We've never had that. I've never lived anywhere that where that's a thing. It did freak out my one nephew, my other nephew who had graduated from Penn State on Saturday, got his picture taken with the Grinch and the Santa Claus and the fire truck. But the younger nephew was, who's a senior in high school was like, what is this? I'm like, you don't have this? Come on. Um, have you ever been in a one horse open sleigh? Oh, wait, there was a follow up there. I saw the finger. Well, I, was say, I feel like that's a, a eastern half of the state thing. That's what I was going to say. I, I don't know. I, I, it's, I don't know. Like, it's, it's kind of an interesting run. I think, you know, the firefighters get some donations along the way. I think it's kind of a savvy move as well. Yeah. Um, lots of kids hand out some some candy canes and get some handshakes with money in them. That's probably not a bad way to raise money. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Have you ever been in a one-horse open sleigh? No. No. Neither have I. Never, never no. been in anything horsepower that isn't a car. Um, and I think this was the old, this will be the old, well, maybe it won't break down old guy, young guy. The best sled you ever had was what? Like, what was the sled that was super? 
Ooh, we had this, uh, we had this blue, well, we had these, I'm sure Sam and Danny had them. I don't want to call them boogie boards, but they kind of look like boogie boards. They're real slick and you, you'd lay down on your stomach instead of your back because somebody thought- Did they have sides or were they flat? No, they were flat. It was, okay. it was, it just had handles on it, nothing else. Yeah, I think we had those. Okay. We had the best one we had for the girls- Like we had runner sleds when I was young and I, those things, you needed like crunchy hard snow to make the runner sled <laughs> work or it sunk. But we had the, the round things, the round plastic things, but we had a toboggan like plastic thing when the girls were five and four. And it was the, the winter Sam had broken her arm and we had gotten the arm set and like, we're out there riding in the sled with the kids and we went for the checkup and the kids were like, what's the tears like, how was your weekend? Oh, we went sled riding and the poor doctor I thought was going to lose her mind. She was like, you did what with this arm? Like, really? I'm like, oh no, it wasn't that big of a hill. I don't know what she's talking about. Like it really wasn't that steep. Like I, she's exaggerating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Luckily she didn't fall off. Hey, I mean, we, Altoona is great. Like Altoona was a great place to go. Now, let me ask you a question. You said sled riding. I I have been made fun of, and I think even by my wife for saying sled riding. What else would you call it? Sledding. Well, I sledding. I I've always called it. Sled I think riding. either is acceptable. Okay. I I don't know. Maybe this is. But a I think I've said PA, sled riding but... more often than sledding. Yeah, I, I think. Either, yeah. I think either is acceptable. I have been made fun of by friends slash my wife for saying. Sled I riding. think I think I think you can throw a flag on that making fun. Of. Okay. Thank you. Um. No, we had some we had some good hills. We like because in, in fact the one big fifth is what we called it, but no nobody could park on that in the winter because it was that steep. So it's great because then you don't have to worry about hitting a car. Made. Exactly. Um, so yeah. perfect. All right. That's this week's podcast. Uh this will be the last time we talk to you before next year. Get it. Um so I want to say uh, Merry Christmas to you, Steve. Merry Christmas to everybody listening. Thank you. to everybody Thank that you. has been a part of the podcast this year. We've had a lot of fun. Um, we will reconvene that first week of the year to discuss the bowl game. Um, but in the meantime, thinking about, we're not thinking, we're going to do a newsletter. I'm going to do a newsletter. You're more than welcome to contribute, Steve, if you'd like to this week um, on that newsletter. That's not a passive aggressive. Like you haven't contributed, you do always contribute. So just to make that clear to everybody here, that there's no rift between the Beatles. Um, secondly, um, game preview and probably some other stuff, depending on, depending on other stuff happening, there will be some other stuff written, uh, on the blog over until the bull game, uh, there will be the usual game preview and everything else. Um, that's about it for that, that portion. Uh, like I said, next podcast will be, we'll, we'll recap the bull game and have some playoff games to recap and talk about and see how that goes. And Other than that, in the meantime, you can catch all of that on our website, uh, stuffsummersays.com. On that website, there's a section called with Steve. Steve. Uh, we've got emails. Mine's Darian at stuffsummersays.com. Steve's is Steve at stuffsummersays.com. Um, five stars, thumbs up, all that. And lastly, then uh, we've got Twitter handles. Mine's at stuffsummersays. Steve's is at Steve Sampson. All right. Goodbye. Merry Christmas.